prayed he was going to play quarterback for the Gators. There was just like no doubt. But NFL was a different story. Tim wanted to play quarterback in the NFL. If you could do anything that you put your mind to, Tim would be playing quarterback in the NFL right now because he left no stone unturned. There is nothing that boy left undone. So it's, it's a lie. And it's not only a lie, it's a dangerous lie. For one thing, if you put your whole life, if you put all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, this is my dream, this is my goal, I'm going to put my mind to it, I can be anything I want to be, and then it doesn't happen, that's devastating for people. It makes them feel like a failure. It makes them think, it must be me. I can do anything I'm... I can do anything I put my mind to, right? So it must be my problem. It must be my fault. Um, but the bigger reason that it's dangerous is it implies that you can achieve things through the sheer force of your own will. And that's pretty much the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. So... I'm going to read through, if you want to bring up Matthew chapter 25 on the screen, I'm going to read through a fairly lengthy passage. So stay with me. This is known as the parable of the talents, depending on which version you've got. It's known as the parable of the talents, and I want to explain off the top uh, what talents are. Um, We kind of equate that to abilities and skills, but in the Bible, it was really talking about a measure of weight, money. And so when we read through this passage, and here it says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So he's really giving each of them a different portion, and he's talking about money. All right, so we'll go ahead and read through this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. <clears throat> In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so let's talk about who the characters in that parable represent. The master that's going on the journey is an obvious reference to Jesus, the Son of God, who was about ready to be crucified and buried and uh, resurrected and ascend back to heaven and be gone for a long time. So the master going on the journey in this is the Son of God. The servants are all people. It's not just believers. It's a reference to all people. Because God doesn't just uh, deal with believers, he deals with everybody. So in this passage, there are two things that I want to zero in on. And the first is this. The man going on the journey who represents the Son of God does not give the same amounts to each person. He gives the one person five, one person two, and the other one won. It is not a level playing field. One guy starts off with a decided advantage over the other two. One guy starts off at a decided disadvantage against the other two. It's not a level playing field. He decided who was going to get what amount. But it's not equal. And this is exactly, I don't even have to tell you this. You know, when you look at life, it's not a level playing field. You look at some people and you say, why do they have it so easy? Why is it so good for them? You look at other people and you wonder, well, what happened to them? I mean, it's like a black cloud follows them around all the time. Why do they have it so rough? It's not a level playing field. And this parable is telling us God intentionally set it up that way. Now, to most minds, that immediately sounds unfair. Why would God put some people at a disadvantage right off the top? All right. Pastor Dan stutters. I've never asked him, but I'm guessing he wishes he didn't. Um, and you might logically think, once God called him to be a minister, that God would maybe remove that from him if he's going to be doing a lot of public speaking. But he didn't. 
I don't know why God chose Pastor Dan to stutter, but I know this, he did it on purpose. Just, and I know this in part because of my own situation. I have a severe hearing impairment, and it affects my speech. So I talk funny, and I have to, I have to concentrate when I talk. Sometimes I mumble. Sometimes I overcompensate, and I'm too loud, and I can't tell the difference. I don't hear silence. What I hear is people talking, and I just can't decipher what they're saying. So I'm always like behind in conversations. So I go through life every day giving myself a headache trying to understand what people are saying. I've prayed more times than I know how to count for God to open up my ears. And I finally stopped when I accepted the fact he had done this to me on purpose. This was intentional for me to go through life every day struggling just to have normal interaction with people. Now, that might seem cruel, and I'm not going to tell you that I like it. I don't. Probably any more than Dan likes to stutter. But this is what God made me to be on purpose. And he didn't make a mistake, and it wasn't an accident. And so I'm saying to you, some of you have advantages. Some of you have disadvantages. Some of those disadvantages right now, I think, are just imagined. But some are legit. With young people in particular, there's kind of a tendency, you know, to always pick out the flaws. Uh, I wish I was taller. I wish I was shorter. I wish I was thinner. I wish I was stronger. I wish my hair was this color. I wish my hair was curly. Whatever, okay? But young people have a tendency to look in the mirror, and what they see is all the stuff they wish they could change, all the stuff they wish they could alter or trade in for something else. You're not random. If there's some disadvantage you struggle with on a daily basis, it may not be stuttering. It may not be a hearing loss. It may be worse. It may be more difficult. But there was a reason. I don't know all the reasons, but I know this much anyway. Who else would think that it's a good idea to send a deaf man who can't speak Spanish to Cuba? Who else but God would even consider that? In my inability to hear, in my struggle to just have normal conversation with people, God glorifies himself. The Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, he is strong. God uses my disadvantages to put on display, to demonstrate his graciousness, his reliability, his trustworthiness. 
If you knew me, what, if you knew what I was like when I was 19, you would have no clue how I got here talking to you not tonight about Jesus. I am a walking, living demonstration of the beauty of Jesus Christ. If I could hear perfectly, I might be full of pride and want to take credit for everything. But because I know, I can't get through a day without struggles. I know who's behind me showing himself in my disadvantages to get me through. Your disadvantages are God's opportunity in your life to show himself. Now the second thing I want you to see here is this. When he talks, when, the, when he comes back, and the one with the five talents who invested that money, and he's earned five more, and so he comes to the master, and he gives him his five back along with the five that he earned. And the master says to him, I got to get my old man glasses The master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So then the guy with the two talents comes along and he earned two more. Simple math. Five is more than two. One guy's bringing him five talents that he earned. One guy's bringing him less than half of that. And the master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Word for word, the same response. He was not interested in whether in somebody's accomplishments. He was interested in their faithfulness. He was interested in what they did with what they had. If they had, if the one guy had five talents and the other guy had less than half in that, the reward for each of them for being faithful was the exact same reward. If you want to bring up the, the slide that's got Ezekiel. So when God called Ezekiel to be a prophet... He was telling him, uh, you're going to be a prophet to the exiles that have been taken captive out of Judah. I'm sending you to them to be my messenger. And he says to him, the descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear. In one, one version it says, whether they listen or not. For they are a rebellious house. They will know that a prophet has been among them. So he was telling Ezekiel, do what I've sent you to do. You are not being held accountable for whether these people repent or not. You're not responsible for whether they respond or not. I'm just telling you to be faithful to what I've sent you to do. Use what I've given you and be faithful with it. It wasn't based on accomplishment or success. It was based on faithfulness. 
Go ahead and bring up the first picture. All right. So this guy's name is Yoel. Yoel is the pastor of one of the church plants in Cuba. And I, the city that we were in is called Las Tunas. Uh, it's in the eastern part of the island. Um, it's not a place you, you would go to as a tourist. It's like in, literally in the middle of the island, and there's nothing around it to, to make you want to go visit there. But it is like at that part of the country, um, like where the businesses are, kind of where if there's anything that would be considered um, middle class, that's where it would be. So that's where he lived, and he felt called to go pastor a church in an area that was considered one of the poorer areas of Las Tunas, which is saying something because to you and I, if you had gone with me and seen what I'd seen, your mind would think this is a poor area. So he was leaving what we would consider to be a poor area to go pastor a church in what they consider to be a poor area. So he picks up his family and moves. Uh, If you go to the next slide, that's the church. So you go in through that door to go into the church building. Um, the next slide, this is how you get there. In Cuba, most people do not own cars. So uh, they get around either by walking or uh, they can catch a taxi if they have money. Many of them do not. Um, bikes, um, they might catch a bus if, if they're on a route. When we say it's not the bus that we think of, It's literally like a big truck. So this big blue truck will come down the road, and they'll have like little what they call bus stations along the way, and people will just jump into the back of the truck and go down the road. So they might catch one of those. If they're really lucky, they might get a motor scooter. But a lot of them get around like this. They just jump in the back of the cart, and the horse pulls them around. So that's how we got there. The next picture, that's his church. Holds maybe 50 people. If you go behind the curtain there at the back, there's an open area. And then you go around the corner there, you're in his house. Because in Cuba, all these uh, churches that they've had to plant because of the Cuban government, their historic uh, resistance to the church their historic resistance to the gospel, for these people to be able to have a church generally meant carving it out of their house. So for him, we would uh, go behind the curtain, go around to the left, and then on the next picture, we would walk out. That's the back of his house and out into his yard. So he's given up whatever life he had in Las Tunas because he felt the call of God to come pastor in this poor area that you can't get to with a car, the roads, it's dirt, they're dirt roads and they're rutted. You can't just even really catch a taxi there. If you go to the next picture, uh, this is a church that was pastored by a guy named Orlando. Orlando was another guy who 
was living in Las Tunas, and he worked as a nurse. He worked in the hospital there. So in Cuba, he had one of the higher-paying jobs. Um, a pastor in Cuba makes $15 a month. The average amount that a Cuban will make in a month is about $18 or $19. So at the higher end of the wage scale are people like nurses, doctors, pharmacists, and they might make $40 a month. So he's working as a nurse in the city, and this church is in an area, I can't remember the name of the town, but it's 10 miles outside the city. He doesn't have a car. So Orlando, on the days where he has to work his 12-hour shift, walks down the dirt road to the main drag, hoping to either catch a ride into the city 10 miles or maybe jump on the back of one of the trucks to get to the hospital so that he can work his 12-hour shift and then reverse that when he's done to come home and get ready to preach on Sunday and go minister on his days off to the members of his church. Uh, if you go to the next slide, so what he gave up uh, when he moved out to this and moved his family out to this church, that is a well. So they get their water. I don't know where they got the tire from, but they're all looking down where he's drawing up water out of the well. They have no plumbing. So there's an outhouse back behind, the uh, back behind his house uh, where they have to use the bathroom. So when he lived in Las Tunas as a nurse, he at least made enough money to have a home that had running water. And he gave that up because he felt God was calling him to move out here to pastor this church. If you go to the next slide... That's the back of the house. Um, this is where they'll tend to have like children's ministry. This is where they have room to do it. You go to the next slide. To get into the church, you're literally going through his house. You can see the bed on the one side. It's essentially a one-room home, and they just divide it with curtains. So to get into the church on the right, you walk into their living area, and then you walk through that door, and you go to the next slide, and that's their church. So he gave, he didn't give up his job, but he moved his family to this because he felt the call of God on him to come pastor out here. All of these churches are being planted in towns where there was no church. There is no, no one was preaching the gospel. No one was uh, teaching the Bible. All right, the next slide that's another church, the guy that's standing in the back. His name is Joel. His was actually one of the nicer churches, and it's all because of what he's personally done in it. He's just worked in terms of trying to make the church nice for people to come. Uh, and then the next slide is Joel and his family. So Joel is a pastor in Calixta, which is about six miles outside of the city. And he is also at, at the main church in Las Tunas. They started a Bible institute to train other pastors, and he's, he runs that school. So he's pastoring this church. He's running this school, and he has no car. And so every day, he walks down this dirt road to get to the main drag, to get in, sometimes he doesn't catch a ride, so he walks it. 
does his thing at school all day, and then walks six miles back home. So I'm showing you this because when we talk about the people who were given five talents, the people who were given two talents, the people who were given the one talent, I am most definitely in the five-talent category, as is pretty much every other American All right. I calculated this statistically. Over the course of our lives, uh, you know, from about the point of working age until the end of their lives, I will have literally made millions more dollars than those men will ever earn. And I'm nowhere near a millionaire. I'm not even remotely a millionaire. But when your best hope is to get a job making $40 a month, it doesn't take long before the discrepancy to get absurd. How am I going to answer to God for the millions of dollars that, I, that he gave me that he did not give them? when they're willing to go to that level and sacrifice that at that level to obey what they think God is calling them to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up by telling you this. This is how I want to end this with you. God is not about doing whatever you put your mind to. He is about being faithful with what he has equipped you to do. I can't sing. But sometimes as an alternative, I will sing silently from my heart. Out of my love for God. No one else can hear it. And I think sometimes... He likes my singing better than he likes from people who were given great voices. Whatever he has given you to do, whatever disadvantages you think you have, what do with it what you can. Mercy Hill is a youth group, okay? I've been in churches where, uh, you know, like, When we get done here in a few minutes, the next thing we'd all be doing is heading to the cafe. And we'd be having drinks and whatever and shooting pool, playing ping pong while music is playing. We don't have that here. In terms of youth groups, in terms of resources, we're not the five-talent youth group. So what? Now, I'm going to say this, and you better not applaud, because you'll ruin everything, okay? You're the best youth group I've ever seen. And I'm talking about your character. I'm talking about your heart, the godly character that I see in most of the students here. It's not going to matter that you didn't have. All of the material things that other churches have. It's not going to matter. 
because you are already doing well with what you have been given. We may never have a Tim Tebow come out of this youth group. That's okay. I'll take Aaron Cox. I'll take Jacob Bell. I'll take Ben Leinbach. I'll take Lydia Parker. I'll take any of you whose heart is settled straight on God, regardless of whatever advantages or disadvantages you think you have. Because when we get to heaven, the millions of extra dollars I earned, and I'm going to have spoken to far more people about Jesus than those men ever will. I will have had a far greater range of opportunities to serve the kingdom of God than those men ever will. But their reward is not going to be any less than mine because of it. In fact, if I were to tell you the truth, what I actually believe is when we all get to heaven, I'm not even going to be worthy of tying their shoes. Don't look in the mirror and pick out what's wrong with you. God will take whatever he created in you and do with you things that you haven't even imagined yet. Things you haven't even considered. If your heart will stay on the track that it's on right now. It won't matter what Mercy Hill couldn't give you. Because you will have done everything. You will have maxed out what God gave you the ability to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will impress upon these young people uh, what graciousness you have waiting for them, what adventures you have waiting for them, that you want to pour into their life if they will just be willing to say, I know I'm not very good at this, God, but use me as best you can and see what happens. I pray for your hand to be on them. I pray for you to just give them, open up their eyes, open up their hearts, open up their minds to see how wonderful their life in Christ can be. And we will give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.